Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many of you know that we live in a world that can be very critical? As a matter of fact, that is really how the enemy has programmed the world. Brett Baer, probably one of the most respected news commentators since Walter Cronkite, said this about the news. There's three types of news. No news is bad news. Good news is dull news. And bad news is great news. Did you get that? From the world's perspective, when they have bad news, it's As a matter of fact, the news media says it like this. If it bleeds, it reads. How how many of you watch the 530 news right before you drink a bottle of wine or smoke weed or take a tranquilizer? Because you got to do one of those three things if you watch the news regularly. Am I telling the truth? And and I want to tell you, I can tell you the headlines of every news, 530 News, I promise you, you turn on ABC News, 530, and here's exactly the first lines every time. Five people drowned in New Orleans, Louisiana. Fires sweep across the Midwest. Fires sweep across everything. Donald Trump woke up. Cajuns are alive. Okay, that's the head. Hey, hey, all they do is tell you what's negative and shock you. Now, listen to me. That isn't what's happening in all the world. That's just what the world is magnifying and glorifying. Isn't it amazing when you're a little child, you grow up and, and you're taught to trust your mom and daddy, your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, your friends, your aunts, your uncles, teachers, policemen. The safety guy that walked you across the street, priest pastors, politicians and presidents. And then all of a sudden, as you go through life, life begins to pick off every one of those people. You don't trust the president. You don't trust politicians. You don't trust the police. You don't trust priests and pastors. You don't trust some of the family. You don't trust some of your parents. And one day you find yourself cynical and critical, and you actually walk into a building just like this, and you don't leave that mindset outdoors. You bring it in here with you. And so instead of believing something good is going to happen to me, the best is going to happen to me, we are actually trained to believe the worst. We're trained to be judgmental. We're trained to be critical. We're trained to be censorious of others. As a matter of fact, that's why the scripture tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Another translation says, don't be pressed into the world's mold. Who do you trust? Who do you believe? The enemy's design is to do that to you. And don't be surprised that when you walk into church, you carry that same perspective and those same glasses and everything that you look at around you. How many of you know the devil doesn't have any new tricks? How many of you keep stumbling at the same sin? I'm glad you're in church. 
Do you know why? Because it's the same traps. He doesn't have any new tricks. Do you know what the first lie the devil told in the garden was? You know what the first lie was? Was it that God doesn't exist? Did the devil come to Eve and say, there is no God? Did he come to Adam and say, there is no God? Answer, no. They knew there was a God. But you know what they said? There is a God, but the God that's there is not good. And he's not for you. So rather than deny the existence of God, they denied the goodness of God. And the first sin that ever happened, happened not because they didn't believe God didn't exist, but they believed that the God that existed was not for them. He was not for them. Let me tell you how we translate that. I believe God can do anything, but but he won't change my son who's addicted. I believe God can do anything, but he'll never change my mate. I believe God can do anything, but these, these these political officials and all of this, I'm telling you, And listen carefully to me, church. You must be careful that you don't get drawn into the world's molds. There are going to be other mask mandates. There are going to be other vaccines. There are going to be other BLMs. It'll be Brown Lives Matter then. I'll be the president. Okay, there will be all of these different things are still yet to come. Do not fall into the traps of the enemy. Listen to me. I refuse to allow anything that's temporary to separate me from people I'm going to spend eternity with. That's not the hill to die on. Those are different plagues that are going to continue to come. But if we're not careful, we become cynical and we become critical. Why does that affect us? How many of you have ever gone on a missions trip? Raise your hand. If you go on a missions trip, you know what happens if you go like to Mexico or to Africa or to Asia, some Middle East, third world-ish country? Do you know what happens? You pray for blind people, and guess what happens? They get healed. You pray for sick people, they get well. And it happens just just like this. Do you know why? Because they're not feeding on cynicism and judgmentalism and being critical and untrusting of everyone. You see, that's what we have to protect ourselves from. A book was written many years ago by an amazing theologian, and the title of the book was, Your God is Too Small. Your God is Too Small. Dr. Darius Daniels, who's coming this week, my favorite traveling preacher, says it like this, you don't get the God you want, you get the God you see. You don't get the God you want, you get the God you see. So the enemy's design is to scar you so the lenses through which you see God can never touch the greatest and most needy areas of your life. Let me show you how this actually happened to Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is going to his hometown. How, How many of you are from Lafayette? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are from a small surrounding area or a small town? Raise your hand. How many of you know the people in your town, like the ones that have always had alcoholics in their families? You know the fighters. You know the people that are skanky. Okay, there's a lot of other words you could, you could use. That was the best one I thought of. Danielle, I know you're proud of me. Okay. 
You, how many of you from those towns, you know, they always been alcoholics and they always struggle with drugs and they always have fought. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? You know the people that have polio. You know the people that are blind. You know the people that struggle financially and are always a mess. Now watch this. Jesus is coming to his hometown. He, he knows Mr. Boudreaux that's blind. He knows, he knows Mr. Smith that's always struggled with alcohol. He, he knows that crazy person. How many of you know every city got a, at least one house with crazy people? If you don't know where that house is, maybe you know it better than you think. You just don't know it. And watch this. So Jesus is now coming back as God in the flesh. You say, Pastor, was he God of the flesh before? Yes. But previous to Jesus embracing his role at 30, when John the Baptist baptized him and he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit lit upon him and a voice spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. At that point, Jesus embraced his assignment. For the next three years, he would be not only God in the flesh, hidden in human body that nobody recognized who he was, but now he would be acting, healing the sick, walking on water, raising the dead, the Cajun miracle that he already performed, turning water into wine. Watch this. So now... He's coming to his hometown. Do you think he wants to heal all the people that he's known sick all of their lives? Of course he does. He's Jesus. But watch what happens in Mark chapter 6. Here's what they said when he came into town. When God came in the flesh, home, here's what happened. They said, isn't this Mary's son? That's Mary's boy. He is the carpenter. Yeah, he, he, he's the one, he did my cousin's garage. He did the back porch for my grandmother and them. He, he built that little place over there on the right. The brother of Jacob and Joseph and Judah and Simon. And don't his sisters live here in Nazareth? Yeah, they, they, they live right down the street. I, I know all of his family. I've known him all of his life. And they took, they took offense at who? Have you ever been offended by Jesus? Jesus, why didn't you answer my prayer then? Jesus, why didn't you change my child? Jesus, why did you? Jesus, why am I still single? Jesus, why did that happen to me, my child? Jesus, why did the hurricane come to me? Have you ever been offended with Jesus? See, when Jesus doesn't do what we think he should do, when we think that he should do it, how he thinks, how we think he should do it, we become offended with him. And they became offended with Jesus. And Jesus said, a prophet is treated with honor, except in one place, his own hometown, among his own relatives, in his own house. And he was what? Unable to do what? Any great miracle in Nazareth. He was unable to do any great miracle in Nazareth, except that he laid hands on a few people that were sick and heal them. Watch this. You know what that tells me? He wanted to do a lot in his hometown. But because of the way they viewed him, he could only do a little. Do you know why that's written in this book right here? Because there's a lot he wants to do in your life too.
But the way you see him determines whether you get a lot or whether you get a little. Dr. Darius said it so well when he said, you don't get the life Jesus died for. You get the life of his promises that you believe for, that he's already given you, that you must claim for yourself. You, you've got to claim that for yourself. It, it, it doesn't matter that he's given it to you. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, or imagine. But if you're still in a mess, it's not that he doesn't want to do it for you. It's that's what you've settled for. You don't get the life you want in Jesus. You get the life you settle for. Is this okay? Think of how much Jesus wanted to do. The message translation says it like this. He was not able to do much of anything there. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. You know what stubbornness is? It's worshiping my own opinion. Faith is trusting God's opinion. Stubbornness is holding on to my own opinion. They didn't believe that he should be a carpenter's son. They didn't believe he should come from that town. They didn't believe he should have that education. So their belief actually took a God who wanted to do a lot for them. And their unbelief disabled them from receiving all that he had for them. They were skeptical, critical, and cynical. I'm sure they'd prayed that day, God bless my home. I'm sure they prayed that day, come Lord and meet us. But as Dr. Darius Daniel says so eloquently, and I'm baiting you for him coming, if all you see is a carpenter, then all you can get is your porch fixed. If all you see is a carpenter, then all you can get is your roof fixed. If all you see is a carpenter, then all you can get is something that's temporary fixed. But if you see a savior, you can get your sin fixed. If you see a deliverer, you can get your addiction fixed. If you see a healer, you can get your marriage fixed. You can get your child fixed. Because you don't get the God you want, you get the God that you see. Now, let's fast forward and take this principle right into two real-life accounts with Jesus and his disciples. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is with his disciples, and he leads them on a journey. Mark chapter 4, on the same day when evening had come, he said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. And when they left the multitude, they went along with him in the boat as he was. And there were other little boats along with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was, it was already filling. How many of you got a boat? How many of you ever been in a boat? How many of you know it's good to be on the water, but it's not good for water to be on you? But he was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, and he was, Mark tells us, on a, like what a detail. Like he tells us where Jesus was. He was in the back of the boat and he also wants us to know Jesus was comfortable. They're panicking and he's at peace. They're terrorized and he's asleep. Apparently he thinks he's sleeping on a waterbed. How many remember waterbeds? 
that was cool till you jumped in bed with the pen. <laughs> then it actually became a water bed. <laughs> and they awoke him and said, teacher, don't you know that we're perishing? And he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? Why is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know what I like about this story? The waves obey him. The winds obey him. The seas obey him. The only people that don't obey him in the story is the disciples. People often say, Pastor, well, why, did, why didn't Jesus just calm the disciples? Because at that point, it was a whole lot easier to calm the sea than it was to calm the disciples. Here is another story of the disciples and a boat. Mark, Matthew chapter 14. They've just performed the miracle of feeding the loaves and the fishes, feeding thousands with a little Happy Meal. As soon as the people were fed, Jesus told his disciples, get into the boat and go to the now, just a side note, both times he said the other side, you think other side would kind of trigger a memory for them. Bro, remember the last time he said, go to the other side, you better bring a phone and <laughs> some life vests. His disciples got into the boat and went to the other side of the lake while he stayed behind to dismiss the people and the crowds were dispersed. Jesus went up the hills to pray. And as night fell, he was there praying alone. But his disciples, who were now in the middle of the lake, ran into trouble, for their boat was tossed by the high winds and the heavy seas. It was about four o'clock, what? In the morning. And Jesus came to them walking on the waves. And when the disciples saw him walking on top of the water, they were terrified and screamed, It's Jesus. I recognize the coat. I could never mistake those sandals. My mama made him that robe. They didn't say any of those things. What did they say? The people who'd lived with Jesus for years now didn't recognize him in their greatest hour of need. Now here, here's something that's amazingly powerful. What time was it? Now, how many of you are early risers? Okay, of course not. That's why you're in this service. You push snooze 10 times just to get to this one. Oh, we going to the eight. No, no, we going to the nine. No, no, we'll be a little late for the nine. No, hey, no, you made it to thank God you made it. Congratulations. I'm not going to hate on you. This is why we have this service for you. But we have an eight o'clock service and those people get up at 3.30. Like right now is five o'clock in the evening for them. I happen to be an early morning person. How many of you are early morning people? Some of you saw early morning. It scared you so bad. You've been in counseling for about five years. Okay. Do you know what you can see at four o'clock in the morning? Nothing. I know. That's why y'all going. That's why we don't get up. It's four o'clock in the morning and Jesus came walking to them on the waves. And the disciples saw him walking on top of the water and were terrified and screamed, hey. And Jesus said to them, be brave and don't be afraid. I'm here. And Peter shouted out, Lord, if it's really you, 
Then have me join you on the water. Come join me, Jesus replied. So Peter stepped out on the water and began to walk towards Jesus. And when he realized how high the waves were, he became frightened and started to... Another translation says he saw the waves. At four o'clock in the morning, you don't see waves. You feel waves. At four o'clock in the morning, you don't see water. You feel water. They felt the boat filling up. They felt the wind. He got out and he felt the waves. Look right here. That's the enemy's design. His design is to get you to where what you feel even over trumps and controls every single thing, even things that you see with your own eyes. Emotions are great to live with. They're terrible to live by. They're called emotions because the root is in motion. They're changing. And if you live by them, you will always be changing too. And so now Jesus comes walking to them and he says, come and join me. But when he realized how the waves were, he became frightened and started to sink. Save me, Lord, he cried. And Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and lifted him up and said, what little faith you have, why did you let doubt win? Why did you let doubt win? Look at me. Fixing your eyes on the promise of God. He told us to go. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Or fixating on your feelings determine whether you stand or whether you sink in the storms of life. Peter's focus became his emotions. In both these storms, which is interesting, do you know what most of the disciples did for a living? They was raised in Delcom. They were shrimpers. They were fishermen. So they were experts on water and fish. And both times when Jesus did miracles, two of the main miracles he did was replenishing fish, and a few fish became fed 5,000. And in other times, it was the water. Sometimes God has to take you to the things that you think you're strong in to show you that your own understanding won't carry you. It doesn't matter how smart you are about what you think you know. You need to trust him even if you think you know what to do. The Bible says it's in our weaknesses that he's made strong, not in our strengths. Some of you need to be smart enough to know you're not smart enough to know. But say that again. Some of you need to be smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough to know. I still need him. That's why this irony that he taught them this. What are the disciples saying in both these storms? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, why did you leave us here alone? Which is interesting. In one story, he's with them in the boat, and he's asleep on a, on a pillow. And another time, he's not with them, but he wants them to know he still knows what's going on with them. Do you know what that tells me? That in the storms of life, sometimes I see Jesus. He's just not doing what I want him to do. And sometimes I don't see him at all, but he still knows what I'm going through. Why do you, do, do you care? Do you care? Have you ever said that? Jesus, don't you know what I'm going through? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you see what, what my loved one is like? Don't you see my health condition? Don't you see my financial condition? Pastor, what, why are you teaching us about storms? Because we live in South Louisiana. 
and they're coming. They might not come today, but they're coming. We live in a community, in a region that is filled with storms. You know why else? Because I'm a spiritual meteorologist. Who's the guy from the Weather Channel that you don't want to show up in your city? Jim Cantore. Like, we'll pray for Jim, but he needs to go somewhere else. Like, if Jim Cantore is here, I'm not for violence, but somebody needs to whip that brother and take him to another city. Every time you see him, he's strapped to a pole. We're right here in Lafayette, Louisiana. We didn't get out of here. I don't know if he follows storms or storms follow him. All love to you, Jim. Just... I'm sure your name is James, and it's a Bible name and stuff. You know, there's two types of storms. There's Satan storms. See, Jesus told them to go to the other side. And sometimes when we obey Jesus and we start going, then, 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 then we start experiencing resistance. And we want to quit. We want to turn around and go, well, I just quit going to church. I'll just quit forgiving people. I'll just quit tithing. I'll just quit serving other people in need. Look at me. I'm in need. There's Satan storms to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. But there's another kind of storm. There's self-inflicted storms. Okay. Don't blame the devil if you lost your temper and cussed them out. That wasn't the devil. It was you. How many old enough to remember Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it. I saw a bumper sticker and said, the devil tried to get me to do it, but I just went ahead and did it myself. When I can't break flesh patterns in my life that caused my grandparents to stumble, my parents to stumble, my children to stumble, my siblings to stumble, when I can't do that, that's not a Satan storm. That's a self-inflicted storm. It's a self-inflicted storm. Why do I want to teach you about storms? Because your sight in the storms determine whether you see God in them or you see a ghost, whether you have faith or whether you have a fear, whether you sink or whether you stand, because the way you do it is the way you view it. The way you do it is the way you view it. See, some of you are here and you go, Pastor, the storms of life didn't take me out. The devil attacked me and everything, but, but, but I made it. Do you know some storms aren't sent to take you out? They're just sent to take something out of you. I won't trust Christians anymore. I won't trust pastors anymore. I'm never going to give to a church again. I'm not going to help other people. Look, I tried to help them, and look what they did to me. Some storms are sent to take away your faith, your hope, your trust, your sense in community, because if the enemy can take those, he's going to get you later. He's going to get you later. So, Pastor, how how do I make it? How do I succeed through life's storms? I want to give you a few practical, quick ways. Number one, hold on to the promise of God. Hold on to the promise of God. Look at me. I love that scripture in Psalms that said, the word of the Lord tested Joseph until the day his word came to pass. Joseph had a dream that his brothers would bow before him, that he would be in charge. But for 20 years, it looked like everything but that. But he held on to the promise of God when he was in the pit. He held on when he was in prison. And before it was over, he was in the palace. The promise did not change, and he didn't turn loose of it. 
hold on to the promises of God. God's design for you and me is not always sunshine. See, some people think because I'm a Christian, because I believe in this and Christ lives in me, it's sunshine from here on out. Is it possible that God's allowing you to walk through storms so he can show an unbelieving world what it looks like when someone who knows eternity is real and this is temporary, that you can still stand even when all hell breaks loose against you, there is heaven inside of you. It is the promises of God. Look at me. I have held on to a promise for 20 years. I have taken this book and quoted it and confessed it and held on to it when everything I could see with my natural eyes didn't line up with this at all. But all they were was winds and waves. I had a promise. Hold on to the promises of God. Hebrews 10.23, the Passion Translation says it like this. So now wrap your heart tightly around hope that lives within us. Read this with me. Knowing that always, come on, he always, he always, he always keeps his promises. If I will hold on to them. Some of you are too young to know what layaway is. I remember, anybody here remember layaway? Here's what would happen in about June or July. My mother would go down in the hood to the fire cell. The fire cell is where I got my school clothes. And it was good clothes, but they'd been in a fire, so they smell smoky. Well, I was smelling like smoke anyway, so it really didn't bother me. And so I would go, it's a true story, I could close my eyes and see it. I would go to the fire cell on Harrisburg. And I would go and pick out five pairs of pants and five shirts that matched. Me and all my siblings. And then we'd take them up to the front. And they put them in a big bag and put my mother's name on it. And she'd give them $20. It was $150 worth of clothes. But every week she would come and put money on that layaway. Like all these kids are going, Leia who? What happened to credit cards? What happened to cash app? What happened to Venmo? tell you what happened. You. (laughs) And do you know that when my mama put those $20 down, those clothes were mine just as much as the first day when I wore them to school. They were just held in promise. And when God tells you you're in your household to be saved, look at me. That's God's layaway plan. It's called the promises of God. When God tells you that he will restore what the enemy has stolen, that is God's layaway plan. Hold on to it. But you know, you could lose your layaway. You know how? Just not go back and pick it up. The promises of God are yes and amen. Faithful is he who called you who also will bring it to pass. The promise of God. Here's the second one. Hold on to the promise. Hold on to your pillow. Jesus was asleep on. Why did he put that in there? Like, was it a feathered pillow? I mean, was it a goose down? I mean, why would he put, out of all the details to put in the thing? We were drowning. We were dying. Everything was terrible. Jesus asleep on a pillow. It's kind of like it aggravated him. 
He would sleep on a pillow. Hold on to the presence of God. That is your pillow. While Jesus was asleep on a pillow, the disciples were panicked. The difference between panic and peace is the pillow. What is that pillow? I'm going to read it to you. You're going to find out right now. John 14, 26, the Amplified Version says this. The, but the, say it loud, comforter, the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the advocate, the strengthener, the You know why it's called the standby? He's there standing by waiting for you to call on him. The standby, the what? Holy Spirit, the Father will send in my place. Now, let me tell you something that's going to wreck your theology. Are you ready? Jesus is not with you. Now you go, well, now I don't trust anybody. I came here. You was the last person I trusted. Now you're telling me Jesus isn't with me. I'm done. I'm going to Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, look right here. Do you know that Jesus said that? Jesus said in John 14 that I'm going to leave, but it's to your advantage that I leave because I'm going to send somebody. I'm with you, but he's going to live inside of you through me. He's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was his pillow. Watch this. How do you go through life storms? What does a pillow do? What's rough to everybody else is soft to you. What's throwing everybody else around from the external? It looks comfortable to you. Why? Because you have a pillow. Now I'm going to tell you something. My wife's here. She's probably going to be aggravated that I tell you this. But for the glory of God, so she'll have to live with it. If you walk out of my bedroom, and I'm an early riser, and you walk into my living room, there's about a 20-degree difference between my bedroom and the living room. Okay, that's a joke. There's a 10-degree. Okay? If you walk in my living room, it's 75 degrees. If you walk in my bedroom, we had three visitors come in there a month ago. They're still frozen in the right-hand corner. We're waiting to bring them out of winter so they could attend church. It is, people walk in there and they walk in, my children go, it is freezing in here. How in the world are y'all, how many of you sleep with it really cold like that? Raise your hand. You got high blood pressure. (laughs) Get healed. It is freezing in that room and people walk in and go, how can you sleep in here? It is freezing. You know what this is called? It's called a comforter. And you know what it does? It takes the environment that everybody else is in and they're freezing and into this, it makes it about 78 degrees. Because the comforter allows you to change the environment that's around you and even though you're in it, you are totally different than it. Hey, I have one of my bodyguards up here. In case you, if you ever get mad at me preaching, these guys have guns and they'll kill you. Come on up here. Hey, all right. This, this is my comfort. I want you to hold that for me. Okay. How heavy is that? 
Not too bad. How much do you think it weighs? About five pounds. He's strong. It's 15 pounds. (laughs) This is a weighted comforter. And you know what? When you get cold, bro, you can't even stick your little toe out and like touch your wife's leg. Like you put this thing on you, you're like. (laughs) Do you know what most of us need? We need a comforter that will keep us in place so that we want to get in the flesh and jump up and every time a trial comes and we don't know what we're going to do with ourselves, it says, I'm going to keep you right in place. I have you. I'm for you. I'm with you. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And even though things are changing around you, I will be with you and never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hold on to the Holy Spirit. Invite him. John 14, 27 says, I give the gift of peace with you. My peace, not the kind of fragile peace the world gives. My perfect peace. Don't yield to fear or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. Here's the third thing. Hold on to your perspective of God. Hey, God is good. Say it with me. God is good. Say it with me. God is good. Look at me. He's good even if everything around you is bad. He's good when your marriage is bad. He's good when your kids are bad. Let me say it one more time. He's good when your kids are bad. I mean, you got teenagers. He's good when teenagers are bad. Look at me. Look at me. He's good. Just because the storm has come, it hasn't changed who's in the boat with you. It hasn't changed him. It hasn't changed him. The enemy is after this. I don't see God anymore. I'm so afraid that when God comes, I'm actually afraid of him. It's a ghost. Because remember, you don't get the God you want. You get the God that you see. C.S. Lewis said, God can't be a figment of my imagination because he's nothing like I ever imagined he would be. Do you know why these stories are in this book for the disciples, for us, for you and me, for you and me? Look at me. Invite the Holy Spirit. Invite him to your perspective. Invite him to let you see things through his eyes. Can you imagine when the disciples are writing this, looking back on all of this? Can you imagine when they were writing this going, can you believe it was the storm thing again? And we did, yeah, write that, record that one. Can you believe he did the fish and loaves things twice and each time we were shocked? Yeah, write that one down. You know what I love about the word of God? It shows the humanity of every person that's there. They weren't superheroes. They were just, they were dumb people like you and me who had a good God that was for them. Look at me. God is for you. He is for you. He is for you. That's why I love singing that blessing song. Don't y'all love that? He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Honestly, it's everything I can do for keep from yanking off my shirt and running around the building screaming, he's for me. Because he is. He's for me and he's for you. You say, well, Pastor, you you don't really know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm going through. 
No, I really don't. I really don't. And one of the things that has bothered me through the course of life and probably bothers you when you're going through a difficult time and somebody walks up and goes, oh, I know. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you know they don't know. They're just saying, I know. I don't know. But I do know this. Yesterday was the day, the sixth year of our home going of our 20-year-old son. I do know the peace that has kept Michelle and I and carried us when we've watched others walk through the same experience and they never moved from that moment. Do you know why? Because of the Holy Spirit. He comforts us. He's the standby, waiting for me just to say, Holy Spirit, help. Let's begin preparing for spiritual renewal by saying, God, show us how big you are. Let us no longer limit what you can do for us by a place that we paused and stopped in our life when there's so much more that you have for us. Change our perspective because you don't get the God you want. You get the God you see. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. That power that changes us. I want every one of you here, if you just open up the palms of your hands and lay them on your lap. And I want you to just say this with me under your breath. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, stand by, comforter, courage giver, helper, advantage. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come and meet every one of us. Breathe on us now. Holy Spirit, breathe on us now. This week, breathe on us. Lord, forgive us for the times we've held on to something besides the pillow and the comforter. The idols we put to comfort us and to be our pillows. Holy Spirit, come. Breathe on us. Breathe on us. If you would just take a deep breath all across this building. Breathe on us, Holy Spirit. Breathe on us. Forgive us for the times that we quench you by not trusting you, by not calling out to you. Forgive us for the times that, Holy Spirit, you suffer watching us suffer because we won't cry out to you. And as Pastor Chris said in the beginning of this service, our desperation becomes the opportunity for you to meet us. We pray for comfort for all of our friends all across South Louisiana. We've lost homes, lifetime businesses. Holy Spirit, comfort them. Comfort them. Comfort them and help us to be part 
of the answer to their prayer. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, Pastor, what does that mean? I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said. When Adam and Eve ate of the tree in the garden, they died spiritually, and every person born since then has been born spiritually dead, including you and me. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. They had to be born again, just like you and me. Pastor, how how can I do that? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer, and he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin through repentance to be born again. Someone's going to die for your sin, either he did or you will. When you repent, you accept his sacrificial death for your sin. So today, you can be born again just by praying a simple prayer of surrender to him. If that's what you desire to do, On the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand real high and put it back down. I'm the only one that's looking. We're not going to embarrass you. I'm just praying for you right where you are. One, God brought you here. It's not an accident. Two, everything leading up to your life has led to this moment. And what you feel is the Holy Spirit saying, I want to make you new. I want to bring you into a relationship with the Father. I want to change your heart. I want to give you the new beginning you've always cried out for. now three if that's you raise your hand pastor pray for me I want to be born again anywhere all across this building all right yes I see your hand anywhere else anywhere else all right yes I see your hand anywhere else all right now last time I'm going to ask pastor I didn't raise my hand but I should have my heart's about to beat straight up out of my chest I know this is what I need Pray for me. Raise it up high and put it back down and wave at me. I want to be sure you know that I'm asking. Yes, sir. I see that. Yes, sir. I see that. Yeah. All right. Now, church, let's pray out loud with all those that raise their hand to be born again today. Would you pray out loud with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.